0: begin this morning, I want to do a quick little test and experiment. We're going to prove that God exists. See, if you believe, like I believe, that God is all-knowing. He knows everything that's going on, so he knows also the conversation that we're having this morning right here in this room. He is almighty, all-powerful. He can do anything and everything that he wants to do, and he is also present everywhere, including right here in this room with us this morning, then it should be no small feat. It should be easy for God to stop this pen from hitting the ground. Right? So we're going to test. Okay? little we'll experiment. Oh. That's... Not how I thought that was going to go, okay? Um, Doesn't look good for God's existence right now, right? But we can do another experiment because I'm a fairly capable person, I think. I have some abilities. i got muscles in my arms and hands and and a little bit of hand-eye coordination, right? And I am somewhat... Competent now you can choose to disagree with that if you want, but I think that I at least we can agree that I should be able to also stop this pen from falling and hitting the ground, right? I can't. So let's test my existence. Here we go Well, it looks like I don't exist either. I can't uh, take credit for that illustration. I actually read about it in a book called Tactics. It was written by this man named Gregory Kukel. And he wrote that book as a way to encourage Christians to think about how they can speak about their faith, how they can defend it against arguments and objections that come to the faith and against God's presence, the, the divine, that He is existing and, and living and working in our world. So I borrowed the illustration from there, but I don't think the effect of the illustration was lost on you, right? Just because God doesn't do something that he could potentially do should not mean that we deny his existence. You know, Now you can see that there was an obvious misstep in logic. There was a flaw in that logic of that argument that would say that if there's something that God could do but he doesn't do it, then he must not be there. And we can see that flaw very easily now. But a lot of the objections that come against God and his presence, his ability, his power also have some flawed reasoning and logic. Some of them are much more complicated. They don't always proposed tests like we just did, but I think that it highlights for us the philosophy of this age. That's a term that we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul who wrote about it in the first century as he was writing to Christians in the city of Corinth. He uses that term, the philosophy of this age, and I think that we can see that 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 is alive and well today. When the Apostle Paul used that term, the wisdom and the philosophy of this age, he he really used it as a, a broad reference for the world in every age, in any era. And he said this. He described it this way as he said, Jews demand signs and Greeks, anyone who is not ethnically Jewish would be classified as Greek here, look for wisdom. Now this this statement, as truth, is clearly demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Uh, the Jewish leaders, the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one that God was sending because he preached a message of forgiveness. A message of grace, even to the worst of sinners, and it stood in such stark contrast to their self righteousness and legalism. Pilate, who would have been a Greek by this definition, he was a Roman, but a non Jew, he couldn't accept that Jesus was a man who vied to become a king because he looked so weak. So powerless, abandoned by his followers, passive, humble, subservient. And the world can't see such things as royalty. King Herod was a Jew. He wanted to see a miraculous sign. Not because he wanted to know Jesus as the Son of God, but for his own entertainment. Now, do 21st century Americans have anything to do with first century Jews and Greeks? Do we still demand miraculous signs? Do we still look for wisdom? You know, the the Jews, they wanted to see supernatural events that would demonstrate Jesus as Christ. God had displayed those. Have you noticed recently our culture's fascination with the paranormal? The supernatural with things like witchcraft, black magic, did you know that one of the fastest growing religions in the United States today is Wiccan? Which is paganism and, and witchcraft. And studies and research and polls that have been taken have clearly shown that in the last couple of decades there's been this astonishing rise of these people who say that they are spiritual but not religious they want to have a, a spiritual life, a spiritual experiences, but they don't want to attach it to a particular religion. Uh, they want to have supernatural events that occur in their life. They want to see those signs. They want to have these experiences that are full of sensation and feelings. But they don't necessarily need a religion or an ancient book to get that. And then others appeal to wisdom, logic, science, the knowledge that we have. We've had these wonderful advancements in those areas, right? Wonderful advancements in areas of science and technology and medicine and, and things like artificial intelligence. And it's led us to believe that we can find the answers to life's greatest questions, through those means. And so members of the, the scientific, education, technology, those communities, it, sometimes it seems like they, they stand in somewhat contradiction to, to broader culture because they preemptively dismiss the supernatural, the miraculous, or the, the divine. They, they want to focus on what is concrete, what is absolute, what can be calculated Witnessed, seen, and observed. And so they too look for what can be proved in theory and practice. And in this book, Gregory Kugel he he gives advice And encouragements on how you can address some of those cultural things that are out there, the objections against God, how you can ask specific questions to help people kind of think through and understand their own flawed logic. But that's not my point today. My point today is that you live in this culture. You live surrounded by this philosophy of the age. You're influenced by it. And so your heart and your mind will buy into some of these rationales. Your heart is susceptible to looking for and hoping for signs, miracles that you can see it will prove to you the existence of God. How many of you, there was a small part of your heart that you actually wanted that pen to just stop and float midair in the sky, right? You want to see those, those miracles from God and you can point people to and say, God, see exists right there. And your heart, your, your mind can buy into the scientific and the, the evidence and, and I want to see that natural evidence for God in this world as well. And so we're talking about the alliance that formed against Jesus of, of Jews and, and Greeks, but there's also an alliance that forms in our hearts kind of this self-contradicting thought that we allow to stand because on the one hand, we, we want to see miraculous, supernatural events that we can attribute to God, and we also want to see natural evidence of His power and His presence. And so if you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to say is that we, we still demand signs and we still look for wisdom And that's why these words that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century can be so helpful to us today. Because God does rule our universe. There is evidence, even scientific evidence. He has performed supernatural miracles that have pointed to his power and his presence and show his justice and love. And so look at what Paul wrote in that section he says, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Now notice that it's not that the world couldn't know God through science and evidence and supernatural signs and miracles and things that pointed to God's presence and power. It's not that they couldn't know God, but rather the world. Didn't know God. The world refused to recognize God's presence and power. The world dismisses the things that are shared with us in the Bible about God's actions and His wisdom, the way that God does things and accomplishes things. That seems to be foolishness to us. It seems to be foolishness to our reason and our intellect. Because our reason and our intellect, even though those are good and gracious, wonderful gifts that God has given to us, they are deeply flawed. There is a deep-seated issue with our reason and intellect because they are corrupted by the effects of sin. And so, from the very moment that we're born, those effects of sin they separate us from God. They create a bias inside of our hearts and minds against God and His presence. How can we possibly come to know Him? How can we have a relationship with God? Science and experiment, evidence, miracles, it doesn't give us that relationship. But foolishness does. You see, God didn't allow our refusal to acknowledge him to stop him. God was pleased to save us, even if it seemed foolish in our eyes. And so that's what Paul goes on to say. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So dear friends, I want to encourage you today to rejoice that God has called out to you with His foolishness, with the foolishness of the gospel message to save you. This foolishness that was preached saved those who believe of faith must be added to our reason and intellect. Faith must become the master of our reason and our intellect for us to know God. And then, when faith is in our hearts, we don't just know God, but we are united together with Him. We enjoy that relationship with God. We are brought together with Him through the cross and through the forgiveness of sins that is proclaimed at that cross. Dear friends, rejoice in that. Jesus' cross is more than just foolishness. As faith must be added and master our reason and logic so that we know God, it it still seems that Jesus' cross is foolishness in our estimation, but it's beyond that. It's truly a scandal. And throughout this worship series, we've been talking about scandals. We've been looking at the life of Christ. We've talked about the plot, the plan, the betrayal. Now today, the alliance. But the true scandal is that very cross of Jesus. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And the Greek word there that Is translated as stumbling block, is this word, scandalon. That's the word from which we get our English word, scandal. The scandal is a stumbling block, it is something that trips us up. And the cross of Christ causes us to stumble. Who wants to believe in a God who dies? Who wants their superhero? Or the superstar, or the cultural icon, to be humiliated, pinned to a tree. You no, know, our, our culture has one definition of what glory and might and greatness looks like, and the cross doesn't fit that definition. It doesn't look like a king it doesn't look like a god hanging on a tree what kind of god would care so much about mere mortals that he would be willing to do that to make right the wrong of the whole world what kind of a god would send his own son to suffer so horribly so that you and i might be free from guilt This is the giant scandal of the cross. That foolishness, that scandal is something different for us because it is the very power of God. That's what Paul said as he began this section. He said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God has called you to know him in an incredible way. To know Christ. To see God's power and God's wisdom in that cross. Because God calls with this amazing message and this message of the cross, that is what is able to overcome our hearts and our minds The cross of Jesus is the supernatural medium through which you can enjoy and interact with the divine in a joyful, peaceful way. And so this message of the cross, it has to be the foundation of our religion. It has to be the foundation of what we proclaim. It has to be the foundation of everything that we say and do because only Christ crucified Saves. only Christ and his cross can give you the peace that your heart so desperately craves that every heart desires only Christ and his cross delivers that only through this truth did the God who reigns supreme on high would come down from that throne humble himself be willing to go to that cross And suffer death in your place, only that can deliver you. And because of Christ and His cross, you can stand before God and you can claim Jesus' own holiness and righteousness as your own. You can stand before God without any blemish that would keep you from His eternal courts. So, Christ and His cross, that is our proof, that is our evidence. Of God's power, of God's presence, and more importantly, of God's love for us. And God is pleased to demonstrate His love and to save us through other foolish things. How foolish it is to think that with a little water splashed on the forehead of somebody, that there is a divine interaction that occurs. How foolish to think that in that act, God reaches down with his own hand and calls someone his own. That he whispers into our ear, you are mine and I am yours that he reaches down with his almighty hand and he, he clothes us in the robes of Christ's righteousness. How foolish, how foolish to think that with just a little water and the word of God that faith could be formed, strengthened and uplifted. How foolish to think that that makes us God's own dear child. How foolish to think that a little piece of unleavened, bland bread and a little cup of very common wine could be food that sustains for eternity. Could be the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given into death, poured out for us on that foolish cross. That because of that little piece of bread and that little cup of wine, this piecemeal offering that that we could bring all of our struggles all of our guilt all of our mistakes all of our failures all of our fears that we can bring all of that and we could lay it on the table before him and know through that little bite of bread and that little sip of wine to know that it is all covered it is all forgiven you are free you are loved you are my chosen You are my family. God is pleased to save us through simple things. Simple things like a wooden cross and an empty tomb. Simple things like water and bread and wine. God is pleased through what the world would call foolish. He is pleased to save us. So dear friends, uh, don't be shocked or disappointed that God didn't reach down with his almighty hand to stop this pen from hitting the ground because God has used his power for far more important things. God reached down with his almighty hand to keep you from plummeting into the depths of hell. Don't be disappointed as you walk away today that you didn't see this pen hanging suspended in midair. Because you have seen your Savior Jesus hanging, suspended from a cross, there to suffer and die for all of your sins and to wash you clean. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the comfort you have. Rejoice in the hope that you have that one day you will see your Savior Jesus suspended in midair again, coming on the clouds with all his angels to gather you together, to take you home to be with him forever. Cherish the proof of your faith in Christ crucified. For some, a stumbling block, a scandal, foolishness to others. But for you, the very power and wisdom of God. Amen? Amen.